So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices slave, practice, excuse me, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would not be doing, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and, am here, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you... Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because, the, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. 
Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If, if I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Thank you, Grace. You guys can have a seat. Well, it's good to be back with you all. Uh, I heard you guys were blessed by Eric's sermon last week and got to hear about a little bit more about nets. Uh, thank you for the Sunday off and per Eric's instructions, I think I got more sunburn yesterday than I did while we were on our trip. Uh, a couple announcements is today's the last day to sign up if you want to be a volunteer for VBS. It's through the same link that's in the bulletin uh, that you can sign up your children uh, as well. Uh, the Nets banquet is in a couple weeks as well. I'm hosting a table with Kristen if you would like to join us. It's a free meal. You can hear more about Nets up in Burlington. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, and then this Wednesday is our last midweek gathering uh, until the fall. So we figure we will finish up our series uh, on the spiritual discipline. So we'd love to have you join us uh, at 630 this Wednesday. But this morning as I got the mail, I thought it would be good to read you this note we got from our brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church of Bar Harbor where the Waldens had went. And I think it's, it's not just a note for me. It's not a note just for the elders or even the finance team. I think it's a note for this entire congregation. They said, Dear brothers and sisters of Cornerstone Church, I would like to thank you sincerely and officially acknowledge your generous gift to First Baptist Church on behalf of the Walden family. After two weeks of Tyler's gifted preaching and ministering, we would also like to thank you again for releasing him and his wonderful family into our church. We pray that God will comfort your hearts and bring you deep comfort that only he can bring as you try to find someone to fill his and Susanna's shoes. Thank you again for your blessings. In Christ's love, brothers and sisters at First Baptist Church Bar Harbor. So that's just another way that we get to participate in what God is doing in the world outside of our area of Central Vermont as we sent our brothers and sisters. And so thank you for your generosity. It has blessed another church. So, John chapter 8, as we finish things up. Uh, many of you in this room were born here in Vermont. Many of you in this room, if you weren't born here, moved here and have lived here for decades. 
Next week marks two years when you called me and my family from California to serve here and you've welcomed us into your lives. But I often hear, what criteria do you need to be a Vermonter? Do you need to be born here? Do you need to have multiple generations born here? If so, how many generations is it? We love to clarify, we love to validate what groups and identities we have, don't we? What's a true American? Well, you vote this way or you vote that way. My perspective is you don't play Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. What's a true friend? They call me this frequently or they come and visit me this often. We love to make sure we know who are my people. This morning, we'll get some help on who Jesus' people are, who are the true people of God. This morning, we'll see what true discipleship looks like and what genuine salvation looks like as we allow God's word to instruct us and encourage us. So will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we get to gather this morning. God, would you incline our hearts to your testimonies? Would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law? Would you unite our hearts to fear your name and satisfy us this morning with your love? Be glorified in our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look again. We'll pick it back up in John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me, because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do not, or you do what you have heard from your father. And so our first point, our first item of discussion this morning is that of genuine salvation. What is true salvation? And Jesus says that genuinely saved, those who are truly Christians are saved by truth and they are not slaves any longer. And we start with these folks who had believed in him, we see in verse 31. And Jesus knows this and Jesus begins to speak to them. But their belief is shown to be false belief. Like the disciples who were shown to be false disciples in John chapter 6 when things got difficult and they went away from Jesus because they were hard. And Jesus says that those who are truly his disciples, they abide in his word. The truly saved, they stick to Jesus. They remain in his word. Abiding is not a normal word that we use in our everyday language. It means to continue with Jesus, to believe what he said, to walk in obedience to him. Genuine salvation, true discipleship means that we make it to the end as we stick to Jesus, we abide. And John continues to bring to the forefront the fickle faith of these who are following Jesus. Many believe when he did miracles back in John chapter 2, but they still had an untrustworthy faith. 
Jesus says these true disciples are really true disciples. They're really his disciples if they hold to his teaching. They hang tight on his teaching. They remain in his teaching. They abide. We'll dive deep into abiding in John chapter 15, but in short, it's perseverance that marks true discipleship. It marks true salvation. Those who are truly uh, saved, they obey the word. They seek to understand the word better. And maybe the hardest part, they find it more and more precious every single day. More controlling over our lives. Precisely, when other people, when other forces flatly oppose it. And so as we look around our world, temptation comes often. It says, come this way, follow this teaching. The world says that we are to disregard the teaching of this Bible. Be distracted by things of the world. Care about your bank accounts. Care about the government. Whatever you want to fill in the blank with, don't be committed to this, be committed to this. But friends, be committed to the Bible. Be committed to the cause in the scriptures, not to the causes of the world. Be committed first and foremost to the teaching of scripture and what it calls us to do. And Jesus says when we know of a truth, the truth, when we are cogn cognitively aware of it, but we're also intimately committed to it, it will set us free. Many people know the teaching of the Bible. We can quote scripture to the world around us, like love your neighbor. People know that. Or for God so love the world. We can quote these things. But it's clear many do not know the word of God intimately. Cognitive knowledge of facts does not set us free. Intimate knowledge of our Savior, as revealed in the scripture, sets us free. But the Jews who were listening to Jesus, they want to correct him. It's time to argue. We're not slaves, they say. We are free. Like a good Vermonter, we are free. No, no one tells us what to do. No one commands us. We're not enslaved to anyone. No one controls us. But as I did some study and I did some just practical thinking about this scripture, I came up with a list of who has enslaved the Jews in the history of their nation. You probably are familiar with the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and the current Roman occupiers. It's kind of ironic when they say they are not enslaved to anybody, but they've been enslaved to at least a half dozen other nations in the history of their people. It's like the kid with the chocolate all over their face, right? Did you eat the cookie? Nope, didn't eat it. But we know the truth that they did eat the cookie. And Jesus is talking about a different kind of freedom. Jesus is talking about the freedom through the enslaving power and the patterns of sinful conduct. Paul says this in Romans 6, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? The freedom that Jesus provides is a transforming freedom. It's not stick to -itiveness. It's not pulling oneself up by your bootstraps. It's not gathering a large bank account. It's not being financially free. It's not intellect to fix my problems. True salvation is freedom only Jesus can provide. 
And Jesus is clear. Everyone who practices sin is a slave of sin in verse 34. But verse 36 is amazing. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. A true believer is truly free. Salvation is free from the guilt of sin. Salvation is free from the shame of sin. Salvation is free from the penalty of sin. Salvation is free from the power and its ultimate control over our lives and the control of sin. Friends, once you are free, you are always free because the Son word never fails. Many of you have watched the movie Schindler's List. I, if you haven't, you've had plenty of time to watch it, so if I break the news to you and tell you about the end, I'm sorry, but you've had like 30 years to watch the movie. But at the end of the movie, when these uh, Jewish folks who were in the concentration camp are freed, they just sit there and they wait. They don't leave the concentration camp. They sit on the ground. They don't know where to go. When the chains are broken, the encouragement from outside has to come to initiate them leaving the concentration camp where they're physically cared for, where they're nourished. They're finally free at that point when they're said, you can leave from and start their process of recovery. We have to have somebody from outside to say, you are free. And Jesus provides that. The Son sets us free. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Son sets us free. The truth sets us free. Jesus is the truth. Jesus sets us free, friends, from our sins. And Jesus knows that they are sons of Abraham by birth. But to them, that doesn't matter. We find a reason to sing those songs later. They need to be sons and daughters of God. Even as sons of Abraham, they are still in bondage to their sin. But as children of God, they are free. We're free to not sin. We are free to live in the truth. We are free to follow Jesus when in our past we were in bondage to sin, when before we cannot not sin. And the argument that moves on to thoughts now of murder, where they don't truly believe. If they had believed, they would not want to kill him, we see in verse 37. And Jesus knows this. Jesus has seen this, and he has heard, as we see in verse 38. So I've said it a lot. Disciples are free. Are you free? Maybe you have conviction right now. Maybe you aren't free. Maybe you have sins that you can't shake in your life. If Jesus isn't ruling and reigning in your life, maybe you aren't free. If he is, and you have confidence right now and a confirmation that you are a child of God, keep going, keep abiding, keep worshiping. This world will keep tempting us, pushing us, pulling us. They will want us to not abide until the end. And we all want freedom, right? We all want liberty. And when Jesus isn't ruling or reigning and we aren't abiding in him, the world will keep pulling. And the freedom of this world is not true freedom, though, that endures. Freedom the world provides is really just continued slavery to sin. It's not freedom. True freedom and salvation comes through Jesus. And those who are truly saved abide. They remain forever. They endure to the end. Freedom this world provides can be taken away. 
at any moment, but freedom in Christ can never be taken away. That's round one of the fighting. It's over. But the Jews are up for another round. They have more questions for Jesus. We'll pick it back up in verse 39. Would you read with me? It says, They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are your father, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Before we go any further, true disciples, those who are truly saved, they don't call Jesus the devil. I'm just saying. They go back to Abraham. Abraham is their father, not the God of the, fa or God of the Bible, not God the Father. True disciples don't just abide. Those truly saved, they love the Son and they are children of God. They are not seeing, they are not hearing, they are worse, they're not believing. They're focusing on their physical lineage of Abraham, not the spiritual transformation that God provides when one receives and believes the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, through the death, and through the resurrection of Jesus. And they keep arguing. They don't know when to quit. In verse 41, they accuse Jesus of being born in sexual immorality. And Jesus' simple rebuke is that if God was your father, you would love Jesus. Jesus the Son, he comes as an ambassador from God and he sets God's people free. I love action movies where you have this CIA operative and they are in a foreign country and where do they go to escape, right? They go to an embassy. They go to an embassy and they get protection, they get comfort, the ambassador lives there. The ambassador who is from a foreign land living in this country where they are advocating for the person who's trying to escape. And that's what Jesus does here on earth from heaven. He's advocating. He's dying for his people. He didn't come on his own accord. The Father sent him as an ambassador. And these folks, these Jews, they proclaim that Jesus is not of the Father, that he is of the devil. With the tables, they want to turn them. And what it does is it shows that they truly aren't children of God. And verse 44... Those who reject Jesus are not true disciples. They are not truly saved, even as a Jewish person. 
Abraham, he came and he was there 2,000 years prior to Jesus. And Abraham, he looked forward to the promises of God to be fulfilled and he believed in Jesus. And those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah will truly be saved. Belief in the Son is true discipleship. Verse 43 is a key verse in this section. Jesus says they are not able, they, they cannot hear, they don't have the power to hear the word and believe it. We've seen over and over again in the Gospel of John, right, that we don't have the power to hear the word. We don't have the power to believe the word. We don't have the power on our own to accept the word. It's a gift of God. It's a work of God. It's by the power of the Spirit. And the flaw is not with the communicator in sharing the gospel. The problem is with the receiver who is hearing the gospel and our inability to believe when we hear it. Children of God, we love the truth. Children of God will believe the truth in Jesus. Children of God are not children of the devil. Children of the devil, on the other hand, are characterized by lies. They are characterized by murder. Children of the enemy will not accept, will not be able to accept the truth precisely because Jesus is the truth. Our abiding in Jesus, our abiding in his word is carried out by God himself and it, friends, it gets us to the end. That's freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom to obey. We're no longer slaves. We are part of God's family regardless of our earthly family's history. And finally, in verse 46, Jesus asked them a rhetorical question. Who can convict him of sin? You can accuse him, but can he be convicted? Hebrews 4, 15 speaks to this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For those of you who were here about a year ago or a little over a year ago now when we were in the book of Genesis, you know the story probably where Adam and Eve, they were instructed by God to not eat of a certain tree. But they didn't hear and they didn't, or they did hear what God said, but they didn't obey it. They were tempted by the serpent when he attempted them and said, did God really say? True disciples know the truth. The answer that they should have given was, yes, he did. True disciples obey the truth. The answer that they should have responded with was, no, we won't eat of that tree. True salvation abides in the truth, and true salvation abides and follows it forever. But it's all by the grace of God. And Hebrews says that we can find grace and help in the time of need because Jesus himself was without sin. This is the question Jesus is answering. Has anybody, can anybody convict me of sin? Where we can go to him when we are tempted and get help from him as our advocate because our freedoms will never be taken away. He's that ambassador, right? We can go, should we do this or not to do that? And he can respond with yes. And he will also help us to follow that which is true and to disregard and to not follow that which is of the enemy. Where we love the son as disciples because the son first loved us. Round one. Abide in Jesus' words. Round two, love Jesus. 
those are characteristic of true disciples, those who are truly saved. Maybe you think that would be enough for these folks and they would end the discussion and go away, but as we are aware, they don't. They can't stop and they want to go to round three. So we'll pick back up and finish in verse 48. The Jews answered him, We are not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon. And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and did as, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say to you that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I, do, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The mudslinging, it continues with the same arguments from the Jews. They say he is a demon. They say he is from Samaria. They're insulting Jesus. They're not hearing what he has to say. It's like little children. They go back and forth and they just end with, well, you're just stupid. And so they move on and they think they've won the argument. But when their theological arguments fail, they start to accuse and they start to attack Jesus with personal abuse. I don't know about you, but if you've watched the news lately or if you've seen things on social media, this is what the world is doing. When people feel like their arguments are losing, they get more and more irrational. They get more and more hateful. They yell, they scream, they attack people personally. But let's be honest, it happens on both sides of the aisle. When you see the Supreme Court leak that happened, who shows up on the news? It's the people who are pro-life, who are screaming and yelling, just like the people who are pro-choice. Like these Jews, the folks of the world, they don't care who Jesus is. They argue and they fight and they will get dirty if necessary. But that is not characteristic of God's people, true disciples. When Jesus questions the lineage of another Jew, to them, it was so despicable for a Jew to question the lineage of another Jew that their only response was only a demon-possessed man could respond like this. But Jesus is getting to a bigger question that we all must ask. A.W. Tozer says, What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the same can be said of what we think about Jesus. Is he a liar? Is he Lord? Or as they say, is he a lunatic possessed by a demon? Jesus again goes back to God's word, his words, that anyone who keeps these words will never see death. 
The truly saved, they abide in God's word. True disciples love the Son and are children of God, but they also keep God's word and they will live forever, Jesus says. 51, verse 51, it says, we will not see death. But the confusion continues. In verse 52, it says, Abraham died, the prophets died. They kept God's word. How could you be greater than them? For Jesus to suggest that his words are superior to that of Abraham or even the prophets that they communicated is a crazy idea. And it's crazy talk to them. But Jesus has humility. It comes out. He says his glory is not by man. Like these guys revered Abraham or the prophets. His glory is because God the Father gives him glory. And we know that Jesus cannot lie. We see that again in verse 55. He has to speak truth, truth because Jesus is truth. And Jesus and God, they keep our, his, they keep, God keeps his promises. Promises to help us to abide. Promises to help us to love him as his children. Promises to obey his words, which means we will never see death. That we have abided, that we have loved, that we have not and will not see death in the process. And Jesus, he finally takes a moment to correct their theology. He says that Abraham looked forward to Jesus' day. Abraham looked forward to Jesus, the fulfillment of all of God's promises that God has given. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Jesus identifies that the ultimate fulfillment of all of Abraham's hopes, all of Abraham's joys, all of everything that Abraham gave himself to was in the life and work of Jesus. All the saints who have gone before us, Noah, Abraham, David, Jonah, your friends, your family, pastors who shared the gospel with you, friends, family who have passed away, who believed, their hope was in Jesus. Especially the Old Testament folks we see in Hebrews verse 11 says this, that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. The Jews didn't know this. They're not truly saved because they don't believe this. They didn't hear this. They didn't believe and they go back to their historical timeline. Jesus isn't even 50 years old. How could this even be possible for Jesus to know Abraham? Verse 59, I'll read it again for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to stone him. And Jesus is referencing again the words, I am. The same words you saw last week, I am the light of the world. The same words that we saw a few weeks ago, I am the bread of life. Ego me from Exodus 3, chapter, verse 14, where God, Yahweh, responds to Moses and says, I am has sent you. The eternal covenant-keeping God of the Old Testament, Jesus says, that's him. And like good Jews, they follow Deuteronomy and they want to stone him. That was the response to blasphemy of someone calling themselves God. But Jesus escapes because it's not his hour yet. We will get to his hour, I promise you. In a few weeks, we'll start getting into the Passion Week. But here, Jesus escapes because it's not his hour. True disciples of Jesus abide in the words of God. True disciples of Jesus obey the words of God. True disciples of Jesus believe Jesus is God. True disciples of Jesus are children of God. 
because we are saved by the grace of God, by the work of the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And so we can rest in that. But you might be thinking, that's not that easy, Aaron. It's not, but it is. And I've alluded to a few things already. I'll recap a few of them for you, and I'll add some more details before we do head out. So where do we go from here? Abiding in Christ or abiding in God's word is not natural for us in this world. Our minds are affected by sin. Our hearts are hard. Without the grace of God in our lives, we don't want to read God's word. We don't want to obey God's word. We don't understand it. We don't believe it. We aren't true disciples without the grace of God in our lives. And in some sense, it's hard. And it's okay to not fully understand God's word completely. In another sense, friends, it's great news because God helps us. We abide in him, the source of his word, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We have a Bible reading plan. It's a great tool for abiding in God's word. If you haven't picked it up lately, you should read the passage this morning's from today's reading in 1 John. It's very applicable to the text that we are in this morning in our sermon. But our Bible reading plan, it's just a tool. Maybe you need to take longer than a year. Maybe you can read the Bible more frequently than a year or once in a year. The point isn't to just check off boxes that we've remained in God's word for the day. The point is to be in God's word as much as you possibly can because it's the words of eternal life. You cannot remain in God's word too much. And there is so much here that we will never and completely understand in the scripture. We will never completely exhaust our understanding of God's word, but we are to abide for a lifetime. It's not a sprint, friends. It is a marathon. And so we get to abide. Next, when we become children, we are children forever. Remember from a few weeks back where Jesus said, those whom the Father draws near, he will never cast out. We don't have to follow God's word. We get to follow God's word. It's a great privilege, friends. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Where we abide, we are children. And next, there are folks who are not yet children. I lack confidence all the time to share the gospel. I assume that many of you struggle with the same things. Did I say everything that I needed to say properly? Or did I miss that point that I should have said? Did I make my compelling message to the person I shared the gospel with? Or maybe I messed something up. Friends, God is sovereign over our evangelism as well. All we have to do is open our mouths and trust that God will help people to see. God will help people to hear. God will help people to believe the gospel. We don't even need to understand everything ourselves. All we have to do is share. And all we have to do is trust that God will do the work to save people. Maybe start with a conversation with someone this week. See where it goes. We can participate with our church plants. We can send money to Tyler and his church in Bar Harbor. We can support church planting organizations. But what I want to see is a gospel movement here as God's people in our church and the churches that we partner with share the gospel with anybody and everybody that every man, woman, and child in our town, 
and the towns that surround us would have a repeated opportunity to respond to the gospel. And friends, it starts with us, where we get to share the gospel with others. And so I'm excited that this summer we will take a break from the Gospel of John. We'll spend some time in an Old Testament book that speaks to us seeking the good of those outside of the people of God in the book of Jonah. Many of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. You can start reading it. It's only four chapters. You can read it every day if you wanted to until we started in August, I believe. God does the work in saving people. We get to share, and it's a great privilege for us to be able to share it, and it is great rejoicing when we see people respond to him. But we don't need to be scared. We can be confident that God and, in God, and we can trust his work to save sinners of whom we used to be part of. And this is just as much for me as it is for you. We participate together. And so abide. You are children of God. There are folks who are not yet children, and so we get to share the gospel with them. But it's a work of God to save them. Jesus saves, and it's the work of God by the power of the Spirit. We don't have to worry, will I abide enough? Will I hold fast and tight enough to God's word? When we do that, it's debilitating. But freedom is that we can trust God will get us to the end and that we can desire and have our affections towards abiding with God forever. We have a role, but so does God, and we can rest in Him. And to truly know who the disciples are, true disciples, those who are genuinely saved, look to the end of their life. Don't take for granted that even I will make it to the end. I need you to speak into my life just as much as I get to speak into your life. We need each other. We can help each other. And maybe you have sins that you just can't shake off. Maybe you've thought, I'm just probably out. Maybe you've thought, has God even saved me? And I think if we took a survey of everybody in this room and we said, who has doubted their salvation in their walk, I bet you every hand would raise in this room. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11. Let this encourage you. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We are in the struggle. The fight against the flesh is real. But we are in Christ, friends. We get to remind ourselves of the gospel. We get to practice the gospel. We get to do this together. We get to make it to the end together. And we are righteous before God because of the work of Jesus, most importantly. But that's not freedom to sin because that's not truly freedom. Freedom from sin by the work of God and Jesus is true freedom, and our freedom is secure forever. All, must one, all one must do is to believe, and it's a freedom to not sin anymore. Some preachers, they want to beat people up all the time. Well, you're truly not saved. Some preachers want to encourage. Oh, you're doing great. Everyone is saved. We need to encourage Christians. We need to encourage each other. We need to evangelize the non-Christian. Maybe you feel comforted by this message this morning, that you are secure to the end. Praise God for that. 
Maybe you feel convicted this morning. Maybe you need to repent and believe the gospel for yourself and abide with Jesus today and this day forth because he secures you to the end. We abide, we remain, and we remind each other of the word of, and keep the word together. We love the Son, we worship, we celebrate together, and we extend an invitation to those outside of the body of Christ so that maybe they too, by the grace of God, become part of the church family. And not just our church, but the universal church, God's people around the world. And guess what we get to do after that? We get to rinse and repeat and do it until Jesus comes back or till we go home to be with him. But going back to the beginning, holding fast to the word, I think is easier said than done. We need Jesus' help. We can acknowledge our weakness, that Jesus gets us to the end. And so we can rejoice in that, and we will do that now. We will sing, for our God is great. We will give of our tithes and offerings, because God has given us so much. We will worship our great God, who has made us his children because he deserves it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the encouragement in your word this morning. God, we pray that you would help us to abide. You help, pray that you would help us to believe when our own doubts, when temptations come for us, when the enemy asks us the question, did God really say, God, that you would give us confidence and assurance and a reminder uh, that you did. But we also ask for the grace to do it, to follow it, to believe it. God, we thank you that you are eternal. God, that you keep your covenants and that which you say you will do, you will make happen. Most importantly, when you say you will save us from our sins, that it's done. So we rejoice in that. And so God, we would want to lift up our voice to you now. We want to sing of how great you are, for you have done marvelous and wonderful works on our behalf. And we pray this and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you again stand?